on camp. Um, drum roll. <laughs> um, it's been a long time coming. We're so excited, Dawn, to have you here. Um, I just gonna, I'm just going to give you a, a two-second story about Dawn. So besides her being um, an encouraged blogger, you've heard about that, besides her being an author, besides her um, just having an influence in so many people's lives through her words. Um, she's also a photographer. She's also a homeschooling mom of eight children. Woo! <laughs> she also has many, how many grandchildren? Seven grandchildren. Um, and, uh, but, and, you know, so th she just has so much um, to bring us in terms of a wealth of experience and time and who she is. Um, but one thing I just want to say is I met her about 12, 15 years ago. Um, she and a bunch of other of the um, authors that she writes with retreated here on Hilton Head. And actually, the book that you all got this summer that cover photo and all the beach photos in it are from Hilton Head. Um, all of those authors had retreated originally, or many of them had retreated originally here together, and that's actually when I met Dawn for the first time. Um, and one thing I would just say, when I met Dawn, I knew she was a genuine person. I knew she was authentic. She, um, she has that mama bear, just it exudes from her, and... Um, She's just real, and I just think y'all are going to have a treat in hearing her today, and um, so not much else to say except for welcome Don Camp. Give her a round of applause. Is it working okay? Woo, yay. Thank you, girl. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for uh, this morning again, and I just pray that you would be uh, with Don as she speaks right now, and not even so much as speaks with other people, but Father, I just pray that you would just be with her, even to Jesus, for your peace and your mercy and your grace, and we're just grateful um, for her words that she has today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, y'all, I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, is this coming through okay? We all good? Um, yes, Jessica and I met years ago. Gwen and Courage came here, and when she contacted me, and when she has sent me pictures um, over the summer of those of you who got together for the book club with my book, oh my gosh, it just touched me so much. So I have been so looking forward to this. And I'm here with my husband and my daughter and my puppy this week, and we have had a great time and I'm just excited to be here. Um, forgive me if I'm a little nervous. It's been a while since I've spoken. And most of the times that I've spoken, it's been about Photoshop or photography or something. And so this is new. And so thank you for trusting me. And I hope, I hope that we see God in just today and that whatever I have to say resonates with you. So um, God is a relational God. We know just even... Father, Son, Holy Ghost, a relational God, and he created us in his image as relational beings. We were made for community in that way, not only a personal relationship with him, but also interpersonal relationships with each other. Um, I love the quilt theme that we have 
I think that just if you think about quilts, it conjures up that image of community. I mean, can you just picture women sitting around on couches in a room, stitching together? Um, just that idea, too, of things that are dissimilar, different fabrics and patterns, but they're complementary. And so that's how, that's how friendship and relationship should be, too. I mean, you, we don't need to all be cookie-cutter copycats of each other. We're all different, but hopefully we can be all complementary and join together in friendships that way, too. And I love that the quilt theme is just an image of that. And I love that so many of these quilts, as Jessica said, came from women in my family. Now, my mother didn't quilt. My mother didn't quilt. My mother didn't cook. <laughs> my mother was, my mother was, anyway, my mother was very interesting. And if you have the gift of friendship, there is, my story about her is the last one at the end of the book. She passed away on my birthday in 2004. But, um, yeah, but my grandmother and my great aunts that I was very close to growing up, they were the quilters. And... Uh, I can remember sitting around, and y'all, one of the themes we're talking about, we're talking about motherhood and mentorship and just meeting together as sisters in Christ. But that motherhood, I mean, think of grandmotherhood and aunthood and everything else too. I mean, family is so, so important. And family, you can treat somebody like family that's not your birth family too. You can take that role for someone beyond that too. I can definitely see that in my life since my mother passed. But um, I can remember sitting around and those women teaching me how to quilt. Um, my great aunt told me one time that you could tell all the, the pieces that I had done because if I didn't think I had stitched it well, I would go back and I would make a second row of stitches right next to the first one. And I thought, dang, there are personality traits that are just with us from the beginning. You know, wasn't right? Let's do that again. And I know from a daughter of mine taking quilt lessons once upon a time, they don't really want you like double stitching those rows. But they were very patient and they, they taught me well. Um, I remember my great aunt who she, I remember her uh, teaching me how to play tic-tac-toe. She was very strategic. And I think maybe, I wonder if she kind of instilled some of my like analysis. I overanalyze everything. I'm very analysis oriented and I wonder if some of that's what she fed into me like I actually this is an interesting thing it's not in a lot I think I felt like forever I couldn't say this out loud I actually majored in Russian in college I could say that out loud and I interviewed with the CIA I've been in CIA headquarters I've always been like an over analyzer and I just wonder if some of that you know is just that that you know strategic thing felt you know brought to me by my great aunt um my grandmother, she was a little preacher's wife, and she thought her mission was to feed the world. When, when my husband and I were dating, I said, if we go to my grandparents' house, you better be hungry because she's going to feed you, and she's going to expect you to eat. Um, and my mom, my mom, I told you she didn't really quilt or cook much and all. She was very frail physically for a lot of years. She had a lot of health problems, but she was so wise. And we would all come to her with questions. She, she asked my dad and I one time, she's like, why does everyone in the family come to me with all their problems and ask them when I really can't do much? There's not much I can do to help. And we said, you have a lot of wisdom, and we all respect it, and we all want that from you. So I hope you've seen, maybe from these different examples, we all have, you know, 
things that we can give and ways that we can mentor within a family. Um, my mother, like I said to her, wisdom, uh, when I had the kids, so my eight kids, the older ones are boys mostly and the younger ones are girls. So when I had those boys coming up, they would have times where they would be pushing my buttons. It would be hard and I could get on the phone with my mom and explain what was going on and she would say, hand the phone, hand the phone to, you know, whichever one. And they would get on the phone and there was a lot of silence and occasional, yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> and I knew that, that that was ending with, she is your mother and she is my daughter and you will not treat her that way and I expect you to behave. Yes, ma'am. And it was all over. And so she couldn't do a lot physically, but she had my back. And I think it's good to, to have people's back and to know that there's people who have your back too. Um, so when, when I was having my kids, and mine are spread out, they're spread out over 19 years, but when I was a, a young mom, um, all those family members that I was talking about, my mother and my grandmother and my great aunts, we all lived close to each other. We lived close when I was growing up. Um, my grandparents and my great aunts lived across the street from each other, and we lived two or three miles from there. And then when we moved to Atlanta as an adult, I grew up in Arkansas, um, my, after my grandfather passed away and all, my family was so connected and taking care of each other that literally my grandmother, my great aunts, my aunt, my cousins, we all moved to Atlanta. Like, we stayed together. So I had, like, my grandmother and my great aunts uproot when they were older and move halfway across the country it was an amazing thing and oh my word I have a story I could tell you about that move but we don't have time for it but it was very entertaining but um yeah they they were always close by and they were such a support system for me when I had little kids because as you can imagine I had an awful lot of OB appointments with pregnancies and you know new baby checkups and all that kind of stuff and so they watched my kids. They were always there for me. They were always a support. And I realized it was a, peri a period of time where the ladies I knew, ladies from church and all, those friends, they were having to depend on each other when they had those appointments and those things because you just have to. I mean, it's hard just to drag everybody in. They were depending on each other. But I had my, my great aunts and my mom and my grandmother there, and I was depending on them. And so it was really, it was great for my kids and my family and those connections. One thing that I love, this is so dear to me. So um, I have a son who's 27, and he, he told me recently that when he was a little boy, that my great-aunt Thelma was his best friend. My great-aunt Thelma was 89 years old when he was born. And her knees were bad. She sat on the couch, but she loved baseball. My family, we love us some baseball. We watched the Braves on a laptop in the car on the way down here Wednesday, propped up, watching and all. So we love us some baseball. And my great Aunt Thelma, she loved her some baseball too. And so she would sit on that couch and pitch a wiffle ball to my son, and he would hit it, and he would run the bases in her living room. You know, it was the, the coffee table and the couch and the chair, and they played baseball together. And the, the kids also say that they all learned, learned their first curse words from Aunt Thelma, too, because, and that was 
probably a byproduct of her love of baseball too, because she she didn't much like the other team, and uh, she took it very very seriously. We take our baseball seriously, but um, once again, just think about that you can you can mentor people of all ages. You can feed into those relationships in your family. I mean, think about a little boy saying that his great aunt, who was 89 when he was born, was his best friend when he was a child. And it wasn't like he wasn't surrounded by people, but they had a special bond, a special bond between them. So I had that family relationship, and I realized that I am such a reflection of them. My mother's, like, independence and curiosity and loyalty, and maybe my grandmother, that desire to cook and take care of people. And then my great aunts had such a love of family. Um, they didn't, the great aunts I'm talking about never married. They didn't have a family of their own, but they were so devoted to their nieces and nephews and their family. And so now, um, all of them are gone. Uh, we live close together, but they're all gone. And I reached a point where I realized, like, I had to, I had to work on building some friendships that were beyond my family because my family had been so close. And then, like I said, they're all gone now. But, (coughs) pardon me, don't underestimate that mentorship within your family. So, then I had to work on creating some community beyond the family. Hmm. I got my cough drop in my water. I'm ready. (laughs) Um, And also, I want to stress, too, I mean, we've all been through COVID. We know kind of what it did with relationships. So being present like we are today is so important. One thing that was radical and is radical about Christianity is the importance it puts on the body. Like other religions didn't do that. I mean, think about it. Jesus came on earth as a man. You read about in the Bible, sins against the body. We're um, we're expecting, anticipating the resurrection of the dead. That all has to do with the physical body. And, <coughs> pardon me, I knew I'd get to talking and get a cough. Um, but our physical body is important. And so kind of what happened is that, that distance learning, work from home, church and meetings over Zoom and all, it, it took our physical body out of our relationships. And that's just not how we were designed to work. It's just not how we were created. And so it is so good that we're back together again. And think about it. So many characteristics of Christian life, like love and mercy and generosity and compassion, they necessarily require a recipient. And that's why we need each other. We need the relationships. We need the physical connection. Pardon me. I'm going to get a little bit of my cough drop. I've got one here just in case. Because you know, that's what happens when you start talking. You get a tickle. You get a tickle. I do. I get a little piece. (laughs) Okay. So, we also, we lived in the same house for 15 years. And we moved. Somehow, we talked about moving for years. Somehow we pulled it off in December of 2020. In the middle of COVID, we moved. So when we had moved into our last house, our youngest, who is here with us this week, she's 17. She was six weeks old. All of us were in the house. Um, So 10 of us, we moved in. 
I just wasn't really in a position to go out and make a lot of friends in the neighborhood. I had a newborn. Our oldest son left for college, like, you know, within a month of us moving in. And I never really, I never really got connected in the neighborhood that way, except for a couple of neighbors. There was one set of neighbors that were like, they're like substitute grandparents to my kids. And like I said before, you don't have to be blood family to be like family. My kids consider, you know, Miss Ann and Papa Fred like extra grandparents. And they have had that role. But um, we got plugged into the homeschool community because we homeschooled for years. And so it was great because, you know, like, like interests are a great way to, to form friendships. So for years, I had those friends there. My kids had those friends there. And then we started a one-day-a-week program called Classical Conversations. And I taught classes there for over a decade. And we had people, like we saw those people every week. We saw them at Moe's on Wednesday nights. We saw them at classes on Tuesday. We'd all go out to Chick-fil-A after class and hang out. And we had this built-in community with our like interests and what we were doing. And so then we picked up and moved in December of 2020. And then that May, right after that, I quit teaching my job, uh, quit my teaching job after over a decade. So all of a sudden, we're in a new neighborhood. We're not seeing all the people before. My kids are growing up and graduating. And I thought, dang, I feel like I'm starting all over in this friendship sphere again. You know, I had my friends at church, but the, the people that I really saw more often than that and all, that was kind of gone. So we moved into our house. There was a newsletter for the neighborhood. And I looked, and my neighborhood had a book club. And when I saw that, when we were moving, I was like, these are my people. Like, this neighborhood has a good book club. Those are my people. And so I showed up the month after we moved in. And it, people, I think they had just started moving, meeting back in person after COVID. And so it was about six ladies that were there. And they were, they were fascinating, big personalities. They all knew each other really well. I'm just kind of sneaking in. I don't know everybody. They get so crazy. One of them at one point said, don't say that. We want her to come back again. And I thought, well, good. They want me to come back, you know. But, but they, were, they were interesting. And so I came home, and I was like, okay, I found my people. And seriously, I think everybody we've met, we, we know more people in our neighborhood now than we did in 15 years at the old place. And I would say it all came from book club. It's all branched from book club. Um, and that is just a great way. Find people that have your same interests. If you like to quilt, if you like to knit, if you like to read books, find a group of people or organize a group of people. And those are your people. You know, you've got, that's a great way to make friendships. Um, th and then, you know, if you open up your mouth and you say, which I did, so is there a Bible study in this neighborhood? Somebody's going to point a finger at you and go, nope, but you're going to head that up now, aren't you? And so that's kind of, you know, it, it got the conversation going. So now we have a Bible study group also, and we meet for that too. And those friendships are just going deeper. We're talking about um, getting our kids together too and having them do some community work and everything too. Because that was one thing I kind of missed with the, the homeschool community we had you know, you had the parents getting together, and you had the kids getting together, too. And I'll say on that, too, 
Look for relationships and friendships that are going to build up your other relationships, too. And I will stress this on marriage, too. Um, you, want, you want people who are going to support your marriage and support those relationships and not talk that down. So that's been one great thing with our book club. People in the neighborhood will volunteer to host a month, and they get to pick the book. And if there's not a volunteer or somebody has to cancel, it just becomes a potluck at the girl who organizes its house and its couples too. So that's how my husband has met all the people in the neighborhood too. And our Moe's nights when we were homeschooling was how my husband met all the people too. Because, I mean, if you have these relationships with the women and maybe if your kids have relationships, if you have kids at home, it's going to be great if you can plug your husband if you're married into that equation also. Um, it's just... We just, we need connection. And I think I didn't realize that as much until um, there was a conference I went to in June, and it had been virtual for two years. And so got on a plane, went, went out of state for this convention, and I just, people in the airport and on the airplanes, I was having like these serious, deep conversations, and I kept just thinking, oh my gosh, I needed people. Like, I just needed people. Even people I didn't know, like strangers. We just need them. And maybe you don't realize it so much, but it just, it was just confirmed every day. So the like interests are good, but just people. We just need people. Um, now, we have things sometimes that I think we allow to hold us back in that area. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I don't know about y'all, but for years, I thought, have, I thought, I'm doing better, that if my house was not neat and perfect and all, I couldn't have anybody in it. Now, how often do we have a house that's neat and perfect? Like, we don't. I mean, I don't. And especially with, think about it, with eight kids, that pretty much just put that idea on the table for a long time because it just was not going to happen. And oh my word, y'all, the house that we moved out of, it was very, the way it was arranged, it was, it was very helpful as far as getting things done where our bedroom was placed, but where our bedroom was placed was horrible if it was messy and anybody was going to come over. Like it was the door to, it was right behind the big living area, or right between the big living area and the kitchen, like right there. And for years, our kids thought that our bedroom was the place to take their clothes that they had outgrown or had become off-season and, like, take them in there. And I remember reading one time this story about um, someone who said that they came from a big family. They said, in my parents' room, that was like my mom's sanctuary. And I thought, I want my room to be a sanctuary. I want a sanctuary. I don't have one. It's not working out that way. Um, so I think that that just made it too, where people would come over and things weren't going to be straight. And I was so aware, like if somebody opened that door, like I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got to get over and close that door. This is not good. Nobody can see my mess. But we've all got a mess. And I don't know about y'all. But I don't think perfection is very relatable because I know I'm not perfect. And when sometimes we see somebody that looks perfect and looks can be deceiving, but we get intimidated by that or, you know, we just 
we go, oh, gosh, I, they can't see because I'm not perfect. I'm such a mess. Like, I don't want anybody to see that. And so we hold back from relationships. Um, those of you who did the book club may remember the story um, from my friend Leslie Richards. I cannot think of the name of it right now, but she's talking about how she um, she went on an outing with a girl that they were new friends and she wasn't inviting her into her house because it was messy and she needed to nurse her baby and she like did it in the car and all this stuff. Like she was trying to keep her out of her house. And then at the end of the day, they get together and the girl invites her in and her house is, you know, it's chaos too because we've all got it. And she was like, you know, look at all I went through to hide everything from her and she's not hiding it from me. And so just, you know, it's okay. Just release that perfectionism. None of us are perfect. Perfection is not relatable anyway. So just let that go because I, I really do think it holds us back so much. And we see people, and sometimes somebody that looks very put together and like they've got it together, I think people get kind of afraid of them. And everybody needs a friend. Everybody, don't don't be afraid to reach out to that person because you don't know. I mean, you don't know all that. I also always tell my kids, do not make assumptions about other people's motivations, their stories, what's going on inside of them, because you do not know. And so reach out to those people, but don't let your own feelings of having to be perfect, you know, keep you from other people. Just don't do it. Um, also vulnerability. I, I spent a long time where I was afraid to be vulnerable with people. I think I kind of had like, I would let them get just so close. And then there was a little invisible wall there and they weren't going to get any closer than that. And that felt nice and safe. And, but it also didn't feel like it was taking the friendships very deep because you can't, if you've got that wall built up, that friendship is only going to go so far. You're not going to get any deeper than that. And I also, I did that with myself in writing for a long time, too. I had this little internal four-part filter. Like, what is going to happen if my dad, my pastor, my neighbors, or my children, my family read this? What are they going to think of me? What are they going to think? And before I would hit publish or submit or whatever, that little four-part filter ran its way through. And a lot of times it just put the brakes on it. Like, uh, my dad might, he might, you know, or, oh, like, do I really want my neighbors to read this or whatever? And it, it just stopped me. It just stopped me. And then somewhere along the way, I thought, you know, I'm not going to grow as a person or as a writer, which is what I'm trying to do and all, um, if I can't let myself be more vulnerable, like I just knew I had to. And it was fascinating because what I saw um, when I'd hit publish, these things are out there. And Jessica knows like with Encourage, you're talking about it's not just out there to close friends and family. It's going out to like tens and thousands of people. And it's a little scary sometimes. Now, those people don't all know me. Those aren't on my four-part list that I had, my four-part filter that I had. But um, I would find that the people, whoever in my head I was the most concerned about, like, uh, what's my daddy? I don't know if I want my daddy to read that about me. Or I don't know if I want, you know, my kids to read that about me or whatever. You know, like 
My filter is I want it to encourage women. I want it to resonate. I want people to say, that's me. That's what I'm going through. Um, but then sometimes you think, do I want the people up close to me? Do they know? Do I want them to know that's me and that's what I'm going through? And invariably, whoever in my head I was the most concerned about, that was who I was getting positive feedback from. Like if I'm thinking like, what's my dad going to think? Then, you know, I've got where I'm sharing the article on Facebook and I'm looking. I'm like, my dad liked that. My dad went and read it and my dad liked it. He didn't call me and go, hey, honey, what's going on here? He went, boom, I like that. I'm like, okay. And then I remember one where I was like, okay, what are my kids going to think about that? And my second oldest son, like, texted me about it and all. And it was always all good. And I think that, I mean, sometimes sometimes our problems, like trouble being vulnerable and all, they, they may be news flashes to us on some things because I think we – we have trouble seeing ourselves clearly, but the people around us, they see us. You know, they, the people who know you best, they've got it figured out. And so I felt like, I mean, I would get that positive confirmation from these people that I worried about the most. It was like a little pat on the back, like, we knew you had it in you. It's okay. You know, we're here with you. So don't be afraid to be vulnerable. And you've got people that have got your back and, and have their back too. Have people's back too. Yeah, um, and also I think <laughs> one thing that COVID did to us too is we spent a lot of time sitting at home in our pajamas, not out doing much, and I think we probably a lot of us could raise our hand and say that there was some weight gain that happened then, and there was, you know, some things like that, you know, and I think that just being comfortable in your own skin, we can oh my gosh, we can be so hard on ourselves and we let all these things keep us away from other people. So the group that Jessica was talking about, Encourage, it's this website and there's a group of authors and that website started in 09. And so there's some of us that have been here from the beginning and some have kind of come and gone, oh, there it is. And um, I, Jessica asked me if I wanted to bring slides and I started slides, and just the effort to get a picture of every one of my kids and my grandkids, it was like, I can't do this. I can't get beyond that, that point. So, yay, there's a slide that goes with me um, <laughs> that I didn't have to put together. Um, so, yeah, we do these retreats every year. We were virtual for two years. Well, we had one again in April, and so we had taken on new authors since then. And so there were people, we hadn't all met each other. You know, we write together, we have like a, a chat that we do, but we hadn't all met each other. And you all know, women dress and do and all. <laughs> we're not doing it to impress men. We're doing it to impress other women. We're dressing for the other women. We know this. We know this. I remember years ago, um, I had a pastor who was like, I get it now. Like, the women, this is this for the other women. Like, yes, this is true. And so I think that we were, we were all excited that we were getting together again. But I think all of us in our head are going, whoa, like I haven't met all these people. And I put on some weight. And I hadn't had on a bathing suit in 10 years. And, what you know, what's this going to be like? And one of the girls... I don't think her back is in that picture, no. <laughs> One of the girls that, um, she's our community manager, and she is beautiful, like an authentically wonderful but physically beautiful woman. 
And in this chat that we had one day, she left this message, and it was, you know, three weeks or so before our trip. And she said, if any of you are like me and you're worried because you put on extra weight and you and all this kind of stuff and you're worried about what you're going to wear and you're worried about how you're going to look and you, you don't own a bathing suit and whatever, I just want to say just put all that aside. That is not why we're here. Let's just get it. Let's just put it out there now and move on and we're going to enjoy ourselves. And it was like a collective sigh. Everybody was like, and literally, I just let it go that day. I mean, because we, we do. We worry about all those things. We, we overanalyze ourselves. Just be comfortable in your own skin. This is not why people are analyzing you. Just don't let any of these things hold you back from relationships and friendships. Um, you don't have to impress people, but you don't have to be af afraid of people who impress you. Um, I tell my kids this all the time. All those people that you think are whatever, scare you, whatever, they're just people too. And if people feel that way about them, then maybe they're kind of lonely. You know, if, if people are intimidated by them, maybe it's for things that they can't help. And maybe they just need a friend and somebody to reach out to them. Yeah. Okay. So, a couple questions to think about. Can you fill the role of a mother or a daughter to someone in your life? It doesn't have to be someone in your family. Can you fill that role? Is there someone in your life that needs someone in that role? A mother role, a daughter role. Can you fill that role for someone? And do you have specific interests or skills? Something like quilting or book club or Bible study or whatever. Uh, you, you can think of things. You know what your interests are. Um, do you have specific interests or skill, skills that can help bring women together in community to meet up and build friendships? So those are two questions I want to leave you with this morning, and thank you so much. Questions. Thank you. <laughs> um, Don left us on a note to um, to interact with each other with some questions. So the next thing we're actually going to do is we're going to go into a time of excited. Um, and so before we do, yeah, Don, why don't you come on up? And we've got a couple little questions though for Don because um, we're just kind of curious. Um, and actually, Laura Fuller. That, what I just what dawned on me at lunchtime is that Laura Fuller. Laura, where are you? Are you here? Where? Oh, there's Laura. Okay. Laura is a mother of seven. Dawn is a mother of eight, and they have this quilt connection. Like, what is up with that? <laughs> that does, I know. That's so, um, that's interesting. Um, okay. So the questions for Dawn are, because we just thought, I just don't understand. Uh, <laughs> because I have no children, so I don't understand. Okay. So what does your... What does your car, what kind of car do you drive, and what does it look like? 
Oh, I turned okay. it back on. Oh, sorry, sorry, you turned on. Okay. Right now, I have a Honda Pilot, which holds eight. It feels like a baby car. But I drove a 15-passenger van for 11 years. Yeah, most of the time we had it at the 12-passenger stage. We took the back seat out of it, so we had lots of room for all the sports equipment and the groceries and all that. But I drove a 15-passenger van for a long time, and then at one point when one son moved away and I thought we could fit in something smaller, we got a Yukon, and everybody said the camps are the only people we know that think they're downsizing with a Yukon. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, second question would be, um, okay, so how do you prep for meals for eight, and <laughs> how big is your table in your dining room? Well, I'm having to prep for fewer people now. Right at the moment, there's only four of us at the house. Now, that's kind of temporary. There'll be six before too long. They kind of come and go. Those of you who've, who've had them leave know that most of them come back again, and they kind of come and go. So it's really, it's almost harder cooking for fewer because I'm used to making more. Um, I, I honestly, like, I think, I think sometimes you just do what you got to do and you don't know how. Because I look at mothers with little bitty kids and I'm like, how do you do that? And then I think, well, wait, I did that. Like, I did that for a long time. It's just you just put one foot in front of the other and you do it. But our dining room table holds 10 now. I was saying it was like the biggest impulse purchase you've ever seen. I, I did a, part of a Christmas catalog for Dayspring. I did some photography and wrote some, and I had a paycheck that I just kind of stuck away. Like I knew there was a purpose for it, and I wasn't sure what it was yet. And I went in the Pottery Barn Outlet, and there was this huge dining room table. And I was like, that's what I'm supposed to do with that. And so they said, is this going to fit in your dining room? Because you can't return this. And it fit, and it's great, and it's all worn looking, and I'm always like, oh, I need to do something. I think they make paint pens, and everybody's like, no, you just leave it just like it is. So it holds 10. We can cram more in there. But well, now you've got, like, extended, extended. You're going to have to have, yes. like, a 50-foot table. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, okay, so last one question. What do family vacations look like with eight children or what did they look like and yeah give us a little we we could never obviously just get one room somewhere so I know we went to Pigeon Forge before where we did condos and we had adjoining ones things like that I have never been to Disney I have never a lot of those things you just can't do that with that big family or if you if you had the big bucks you could do that with the big family but the big family took away the big bucks <laughs> so we would just do that way um Cabins in Pigeon Forge, that's a favorite kind of spot and all. We had a favorite family vacation there. Um, and now, I mean, anything fewer than that just seems so small. I'm not used to operating small. So now there's only three of us that made it this week. And we joked that my daughter that's with us could sleep in a different bed every night because there were, there were four beds that she has to choose between. And I was like, I just was trying to be prepared for however many could come and a couple that were supposed to couldn't. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Uh, let's give Dawn a round of applause for that. <laughs> All of that. Um, okay, Dawn, you are set for, you're going to take it away. So we're going to have Dawn give her afternoon remarks. And then after that, we're going to go into our afternoon breakout sessions. So we'll go from here.
Okay. And I thought um, with all the talk of Mose, because that was a surprise. I didn't know that we were doing this for Mose today. Um, the most interesting thing that ever happened at Mose is I organized a flash mob there one time with our group that showed up on Wednesday nights. We did a flash mob at Mose. Um, the video is out there online, and people always comment, like, what's with these people that were pretending that they didn't see all these people? They were, like, too cool to acknowledge that people are popping up around them, like, dancing in the aisles and all. But anyway, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, okay, so after the lighter note, this was maybe some of the afternoon is some things that are a little heavier, too. But um, have you ever sat with your hands just in your lap? when requests were made for prayer, when you had a prayer request, you had a need, but you just sat there with your hands in your lap. I think we've probably all done that. Um, I have a friend at church, and there'll be different times when you're calling for prayer requests, and her hand goes up, and there's tears in her eyes, and she just says, I have an unspoken prayer request. And you know it's just as serious as all the spoken ones, but it's just so heavy that she just can't put it out there. And so um, uh, Jessica told me three different stories in the friendship book that, to kind of specifically look at those topics. And one of them was one that I had written. It was called Find a Safe Place, Be a Safe Place. And I will say, like, I can look on that Encourage website, and it's like the history of my life over about 13 years because whatever I'm writing about is whatever I'm dealing with right then. And when I wrote that story, it was a really hard place. I had a daughter that was really, really struggling. And um, if you're a parent, my, my mom always said, you're only as happy as your least happy child. And she, every time, and I did it to her a lot, every time I said, Mom, I'm pregnant, we're having another baby, you know, she always, like, she was always a little apprehensive because I think being older and she had health problems for a long time, she always felt like, okay, You've got this many, and everything's okay. Like, you're taking a chance every time. Because she just understood that life has heartaches. It has sorrows. It has hard, hard things. And when it's your child, your children, like, you carry that too. You know, they're not alone. You're dealing with that also. And I think that she just thought, oh, boy, that's one more set of things. You know, at least they don't always hit at the same time. But um, I had a daughter that was really struggling. She was in a hard place. And... As you know, um, if you have kids or you've dealt with things like that, sometimes you're carrying someone's problems too, but they're not yours, and so you're not really in a position to just put them out there and share them. You know, it's, it's somebody else's problem. You can pray for them, and you can deal with it, but you can't really share it. And so um, I know at that time I had friends who would come up to me, and they would look at me, and they would say, you're dealing with something? Like, I can see it, but you're not going to, you're not going to, tell me, are you? And I would just go, yes, I am, and no, sorry, I love you, but no. And I, I didn't want people who knew my daughter to, I didn't want it to affect those relationships. I didn't want to tell, you know, her issues to people who knew her. Now, I did have a long-distance friend that we would message back and forth, and she was such a support to me. Um, we would play Words with Friends a lot, the app that's like playing Scrabble with a friend. And sometimes we would get in conversations in the, in the chat box. And there was one day there was something really, really hard. And 
I was having such a hard time because my daughter was having such a hard time. And she wrote back and she was like, Dawn Camp, I want you to know I'm praying for you and I'm praying for your daughter. And this does not change how I feel about you. This is, does not change how God sees you. Like, you know, I just had somebody in my corner, but we weren't face to face. Sometimes you have to deal with those things long distance. So I wrote this story. It's in the book, but before it was in the book, I put it on this on this website, Encourage. And just to summarize, uh, basically it was saying, if you really have something hard you're dealing with, you need to find someone that you can talk to, that you can share with. And you also need to be the kind of person that somebody can come to if they need it too. You need to be able to be both. Find a safe place, be a safe place. Well, I wrote this story and it published, and then later that day, I got an email in my inbox. I copied it out here, and it said, Dear Mrs. Dawn, I recently read your post, find a safe place, be a safe place. And then it says, I cut myself, I make myself throw up. I'm sorry to be so blunt, but it feels good to tell someone. I'm sorry for telling you. I hope it's all right. I will never find a safe place, so at least now someone else knows. And I went, oh, my goodness. Like, it tears me up now. And, you know, this girl, whoever she was, her name, I knew it, it was maybe her her first and middle name that it was signed by. I mean, I didn't really, I didn't know where she was. I didn't know her full name. You know, I didn't know anything. But she didn't realize that she was dealing with some of the same things my daughter was dealing with. And that I had someone in my family already that we were, it's just like she brought something, she brought something else there. But it was, I, I, it j drove home, it's a gift, but that we have that obligation to try to be that safe place for people. Like she didn't know at all. So I wrote her back. I explained that there was somebody in my life that was dealing with the same kind of things. And I asked her to please find someone to trust and to please take care of herself. She wrote me back. She said, every day my mom tells me not to trust anyone. That's not an exaggeration. Um, she said, it's programmed into me not to trust. She gave me kind of some details. She was a, a preacher's child, and there were some bad things that happened in their church, and it just infected their whole family, and they moved. And she says, she said, anyway... I'm sorry for saying all that. You don't even know me, but can I ask you something? Am I worth more than all of this pain? Oh, I didn't know I needed Kleenex. <laughs> and um, I, think, I think all of us can feel that way sometimes when you're going through hard times. Oh, my gosh, the Kleenexes are coming. Um, <laughs> um, like, you know, and somehow I, I kept, we, we, Email back and forth. I kept telling her, talk to your mother. Yes, you're worth, oh, thank you. That's a, that one's a little softer. I'm going to switch. <laughs> um, I kept saying, yes, yes, you are worth more. Um, I think the key, like there's someone else in my life who um, was seeing a counselor for a while, and she's religious, but she's not Christian. And she was seeing a Christian counselor. And she told me one day, she said, this woman keeps being so so affirming to me. She said she doesn't really, really know me, but she keeps 
saying these affirmations over me, and I just don't understand it. And I said, from her point of view, you were made in the image of God, and he sent his son to die for you, and that gives you value. That gives you incredible value. And so she doesn't have to know every little thing about you. This is how she sees you. This is why she's saying those things to you. Um, so, yes, we're all worth all that pain. Um, it just, anyway, I wanted to share that story with you that sometimes you don't even know it. Just being, I mean, I guess this was online. I put it out there. If I said find a safe place, that was like an invitation. Just be the kind of person that somebody feels like that they can share things with. Um, sometimes people don't make it really obvious, you know, when it's really hard you know, if somebody says, hey, you, you think, you know, we can get together for a girls' night this week or something, they may really, really need it. So we heard at lunch, um, I think you were saying, like, the question about do I make time for friends, like, really hit. Sometimes somebody really, really needs you to make time for friends. And so, yeah, Th this girl, I, I kept writing to her. And we wrote back and forth, and then she didn't answer me for a little bit, and I actually got very, very nervous because I thought, oh, my goodness, like, I don't know how to contact her. I don't know how to contact anybody. I don't know what's happening with her. And um, she finally had one day that she emailed me, and she said, don't worry about me. I'm fine, honestly. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. And it was the last time I ever heard from her. That was in 2013. Or no, yeah, 2013. Um, I Honestly, when I looked up the emails for this, there was a part of me that almost wanted to hit reply and say, how are you? But I thought, maybe she doesn't need that stirred up. You know, I don't know. But it's just, you never know who may need it. And also, just be willing. We talked about being vulnerable. Be willing to find somebody if you need somebody to talk to. So that was, that was a hard thing she was going to. But she really, she did. I mean, I'm sure that was hard to just write to a total stranger and lay everything out there. Um, so with that being said, we can serve him through serving others. Now, I told you my mom passed away on my birthday um, in 2004. And after, you would think, somebody with eight kids. I mean, obviously, I know a lot about mothering but I was just lost. I mean, I, my mom, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I was a typical kid growing up and I wasn't perfect and all that, you know, and treated my mom with some sass and all. But when I got to be older, she was my best friend. I mean, we were together all the time. She had a lot of physical problems and she really needed, she really needed my help. And we just spent so much time together. I would kid her. I'm talking about physical problems and needed help. I would tease her that I took her places because she had um, a handicapped parking pass and we got good parking. When honestly, I was terrified I was going to drop her off and park in that spot for her and people were going to look like, what are you doing in this spot? But yeah, so um, I just, I was very lost. And I had all these sweet older ladies that I go to church with that they just saw that there was a need there that needed filled. And I still, I have women at my church that are like mother figures to me, and they've been like grandmother figures to my children because they saw that I needed it. There was a need, and they just stepped in and did that. And that's a beautiful thing to be able to do that for somebody. Um, another thing, and I'm sorry, I told you we'll have heavier topics. We've all had um, 
We've all had hard things in our life, and sometimes there's things like that, and you get through them, and you don't ever want to think about them again, like, oh, my goodness, that was such a bad, such a bad time, whatever it is. But the thing I've seen with time is some of those hard, hard things, the hardest things that we go through, they end up becoming gifts that we can give other people in the support we can give them when they go through it in the understanding that we have. Um, years ago, after we had our second son, and then my husband's aunt, um, she miscarried a baby at about the time that we had our child. And then all the family was together. Um, shortly after that, we were both living out of state, and there I was with my new baby, and there she was, and I knew she had miscarried. And, like, I felt kind of, I felt guilty because I had my baby, and my baby was fine, and I wanted to say something to her, but I had no frame of reference. I just didn't know what to say. I just didn't know what to say, and so I didn't say anything. And then that baby, when he was 14 months old, I miscarried a baby, and then I understood. And so whenever it's happened to anyone since then, I've always told them like things like things I wouldn't have thought of it's like if you see a commercial for diapers or something and you get angry that's okay that's normal like I remember you know weird things I wouldn't thought of like you know anger over a commercial or whatever um and when my mom passed away I remember a friend who'd lost her mom coming up and saying are you sleeping Annie and I was like no and she said that's normal you're not gonna get any sleep for a while that's normal and so when somebody has a parent pass away like that, I remember when it had been about a month, I just had this time where I was like, oh my gosh, am I the only one still dealing with this? All these friends and all these people, like, has everybody kind of moved on and forgotten her? Am I the only one that's still like hurting and dealing with this? And so there's things like that that you, you know, like the way you feel because you've been through it that you wouldn't understand before. And so you see somebody else that works through those things, has to walk through those things that were hard, and you can tell them those things that can bring them some comfort, let them know that it's normal, and you can support people who are dealing with hard things because you've been there. So I think that it's a wonderful way that just the Lord can redeem those hard experiences. And just the older you get, you've got more of them, but, you know, there's people that need the wisdom that you gain from that. Um. And I love this theme, knit together in Christ, sewn together in love. Um, just a little bit about friendships, and we'll wrap it up here this afternoon. Just, just like my basic tips on here. Real friends are a package deal. You got the good and you got the bad. You know, you got to, you got to deal with both of it. Um, we had, a few years ago, we had a split in our church. It was really hard. Um, literally, it was a situation where it was almost like half of us felt one way and half of us felt the other. It was like you split us down the middle. <coughs> and the thing was, it wasn't like all my best friends and I felt the exact same way. We didn't. Like, literally, my best friend, we were, we were in op opposite opinions. And so... That was, oh my goodness, that was such a hard time. But I remember one day I was standing in the kitchen at church 
one of my dear, dear friends who was of the opposite opinion, she started talking about something that had to do with what we'd had going on. And she explained it from her point of view. And it was like my head exploded because the way she saw it, I hadn't seen it that way. Like I heard her and I thought, wow. Like, so, so it's not like I'm looking at people thinking, how could I not even know you? Like, how do, how can we be close for decades and I don't even understand you? I just didn't understand her point of view. And I heard her and I thought, okay, I understand that. And we just, like my friends, like we just chose to stick together and everything worked out. But it was, it was not easy. But it's just important to give people some grace and be able to see other people's points of view. Um, I taught a class for over a decade. We, our kids did this program called Classical Conversations. And so it was a one day a week um, classical model homeschool program. And I taught what was called Challenge 2, which was basically 10th grade. And one of the things they did was debate. So they had three debates a year in my class. They had two that were team policy debates where they had to learn to work with somebody. And then they had a Lincoln Douglas at the end where it was a one-on-one. And so what I told them, I said, you know, here's the topic. And sometimes people feel really strongly about a topic. They hear the topic and they're like, yep, I know my opinion. Like, I know my point. Sometimes they would hear it and they think, oh, I don't really have a strong opinion about this. But what I did to them, they had five weeks to prepare. A lot of the time, I didn't tell them if they were affirmative or negative. I didn't tell them which side they had to defend until the day they showed up in class. Yeah. That that was a little pressure, and they had an outside judge, and they had upperclassmen judging them. But what I knew was if I told them on the first day the position they had to defend, all they would do is research that position. They would know all about their position, and that would be it. But if they don't know, they had to fully research both positions. And I said, this is a life lesson for you because there's so many people in this world that are going to say, this is my opinion and this is right because I said so. And they don't bother to find out about the other person's point of view. But if you walk in and you don't know which side that you're defending, then you got to know both points of view. you got to understand them so well that one team puts a point to you, you've got to know how to defend it. And you can only know that. Now, the good thing is in friendship, it's not a battle. You don't need to be debating that same way. You're not trying to prove somebody wrong like in a debate. But if you understand people and you try to understand both points of view, then you're going to be a good friend. You're not going to be like I was where I'm thinking, how is this like, how do I not even know this person? You're going to understand their side. And that's just, that's just something you've got to do. You know, it's just something you've got to do in friendship. Be willing to see both sides. Um, you don't always have to be right. You don't have to have the last word. I know that's hard for, you know, some of us. I had a child that would always go, but whatever. I go, no, just stop. Like, you don't have to have the last word. It's over. (laughs) Kids can push you that way, too. Um, And I'll tell you a wonderful kind of friend to be. So I have a friend that is so amazing in that she is fully supportive of whatever I do, and there's not a shred of jealousy or envy in any of it. And, and I have that relationship with her, but I feel like because she's taught it to me so well. You know, there's somebody that you can tell, like, I'm going to do this or we're going to whatever, and you can see they're happy for you, but you can also see, uh, I wish that was me or I wish I was doing that or whatever. Like, it's, 
it's, you know, 80 or 90% sincere, but there's a part of it that's like, ah, I wish I was taking that vacation or I wish I was doing that thing or whatever. But this friend is always just, she's 100% for me and encouraging. And if you can be that to somebody, it is so valuable just for somebody to know that you're totally supportive and you're not going to be, you know, thinking whatever. I remember when I first was looking at publishing and I was like, oh, I think I want to do this. And she said, you should do that. She said, this is your time. You do it. And like, you know, just 100% supportive. And that is such a gift. Whatever your friend needs, if you can be 100% supportive with no jealousy, that is a fabulous thing. Um, sometimes for some some of us too, it, it's we have to have a little push to like look beyond ourselves, be a better listener. Um, my kids will say, gosh, our family is so bad at interrupting. Like we won't just be quiet and let someone talk. I think it comes from so many voices like trying to get in there. But, you know, sometimes we can all be bad at that. We got our thing we want to say, and we're, we're sitting there, like, waiting for that opportunity. And when you do that, like, you're not hearing everybody else. And so it's really important to be able to just listen. And that's a great thing to keep a list of prayer requests, too. Um, I was listening to uh, this, it was like a Beth Moore seminar thing, and she was talking about, that prayer requests are so good because it's so easy to get focused internally. Um, you know, all your problems, all your thing, me, 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 and those prayer requests force you to think beyond yourself and look at everybody else. And so that's a great thing too. Um, okay, so I left you with two questions last time and leave you with two questions this time. Um, is there something, what is holding you back from being more vulnerable either with your space or with your stories. Just to be able to, like, to find a safe place, be a safe place, what holds you back? Because I think I saw a lot of nods when it, do you hear a request for, you know, a prayer request, and you sit there with your hand in your lap? We all have these things. What holds you back? And what hardship or hardships in your life could equip you to mentor with two other women when they're faced with the same situation. Okay. Thank you. Okay. okay. <laughs>